This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 24, all about Fantastic Four, the movie 2015. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is our fantastic episode 24, talking about the new Fox film, Fantastic Four. I'm Derek, one of your hosts. I'm John, one of your other hosts. I'm Chris. And that was our invisible girl, Irene. Sorry, couldn't not make the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, Irene couldn't join us for the podcast, but we do have Chris back. Welcome back, Chris. And we have John. Hello. Yes, Irene was far too sensible and decided she wouldn't go and see this piece of... Um... Ooh, uh... <laughs> spoilers! <laughs> oh, spoilers. We will get into it, definitely. Uh, in response to some of our listeners, we uh, we are aware that a number of our listeners aren't actually going to see this film on the opening weekend, and we're asking for our thoughts of uh, what we thought of Fantastic Four. So we said we'd start off with a little spoiler-free discussion, so you can uh, you can listen to that first and then make your decision as to whether you go to the movie or not. Um, so, guys, uh, will we start out with Chris? Do you want to give an overall recommendation to begin uh, to see if uh, you would recommend for someone that is mildly interested in this film as to whether they should go or not? Um, okay, so we'll get down to it and we'll be fair and just and spoiler-free. Um, no matter if you're a fan or not a fan, I would say this is a film to watch, but maybe not in the cinema. Okay. Maybe uh, if this was a Netflix film... I think this would have made a hell of a lot more sense. Okay. Like, if they had have done it as less foxy. But uh, overall, I, I think, yeah, possibly. And John, what's your initial thoughts? I think if you're doing sort of um, film studies or media studies and you want to see how the movie industry operates from good to bad, you should definitely see this film. I think... If you are a fan of Fantastic Four, and even Josh Trank, then I think you should check it out. If you like Chronicle, then obviously you might be um, tempted to go and see this. So I think it is a recommend, but don't don't get your hopes up. Don't rush. And I think, as Chris says, if you actually don't get to see it, just wait till it's on um, Netflix or it's released as uh, a Christmas or a bank holiday movie or something. (laughs) And I'm going to go the opposite way, guys. Uh, thanks for giving that recommend to our listeners. But I will say this is a bit of a mess of a film. We'll get into it. I think uh, the guys are being quite polite on their comments. And one of the things we do pride ourselves on Defenders TV Podcast is kind of looking at the positives of film. We know how expensive it is to make these things. We know nobody goes out to make a bad film. Absolutely, Josh Trank did not go out to make a bad film. I know that. The guy is pretty dedicated to his craft and his art. If you watched Chronicle, that was all him. Very small budget film. He did a really good job with that. He does not work well in the studio system. And we'll get into some of the reasons why. Um, it, it seems like he's, his vision seems to have been overridden by a ton of executives uh, on this project. And I would not be rushing out to see it. Fair. Fair, I suppose. Yeah. I think actually you probably speak for us all. But we are <laughs> simply saying at least maybe if you want to see a train smash, you know, if you if you like... Um, car Crash TV. Yeah. If or you car like crash film. <laughs> disfigurement horror, then this is film disfigurement horror <laughs> in all its glory. I want to ask you guys, do you think that there's any way that the ill will towards this film, which to be fair, 
this film was started production in 2009, mm-hmm. but until Josh came on, it's basically they Fox waited until the very last piece of time before their rights ran out to remake this. Yeah. So, so this has been ill will. So we've had the casting announcements. Mm-hmm. Everyone went. Ballistic over that. Weirdly, yeah. Uh, then we had the behind-the-scenes turmoil, rumours, mm-hmm. that basically we had divas on set, we had reshoots after reshoots, because Josh had one idea and then someone else had another idea. Mm-hmm. There was even the apparently the executive producer um, reshot a number of f- scenes with Josh not in, um, in attendance. Yeah. Then we had the 3D conversion not being, uh, being cancelled. One month before release, mm-hmm. we've had all this ill will. Could this have affected subconsciously our view going into the film? Because if you think every other big Marvel release or Marvel based comic or any comic based that we, we pretty much love with his our bread and butter, mm-hmm. we will go see and we will have a level of enthusiasm. Yes. Everyone I've talked to, both comic book geek non-comic book geek and somewhere in between everyone was going in with predetermined expectations that this was going to be a terrible film right right so could this have that soured our view i don't think so i personally don't think so but i think this the more and more fever i'm seeing around how much people are not liking this film Mm -hmm. from a critical aspect to a uh, joe soap aspect i'm wondering if this is the power of social media and the internet actually fueling anything. Because, as you said, we pride ourselves on seeing the positive and negative of all films, and I do have some positives. Absolutely. But I have more negatives. Yeah. But I'm wondering, would that be flipped if I had if I had have gone on a complete nothing, know nothing about this film, mm-hmm. do not read any of the critics, do not read anything going in? It's interesting, yeah. I, I know. Uh, I, I te- definitely take your point. Um, I I feel after watching the film, and again, we're going to go into spoiler detail in a while. But I do feel that um, that Josh Trank was trying to make a certain film. He specifically brought on his his own editor from Chronicle and his own cinematographer from Chronicle. He thought he couldn't make the film without the two of them. Um, it would seem that as it's gotten closer to the film, with some of the points that you brought up, the three D conversion being cancelled. Um, uh, reviews just after the film was released weren't allowed to be released until Thursday of this week, uh, three or four days after the film had been had been released. Usually, an indication that they want to allow people to pre-book tickets and not hearse the first weekend's takings, essentially, uh, for the business. All of those do speak to the fact that that at least Fox weren't confident in the film. I will say we saw it probably at one of the earliest screenings worldwide was when we saw the film on Tuesday. Myself and John went. Um, and I actually went in looking quite positively, positively into it. I thought it was going to be a bit more of a, a sci-fi film, I think. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a good sci-fi. Um, whether they treated the characters well or not, I wasn't too sure. That wasn't. I was going in pretty open-minded as to whether uh, as to what it was going to be like. But um, uh, we will get into more detail on it. But I don't think it actually spoiled my enjoyment of the film. I think the film may have done that. <laughs> this actually links into my first point, but I'll come back to it after the synopsis. With that, we end our spoiler-free section. If you want to go out and check out Fantastic Four and then come back and listen to our spoiler-filled discussion, um, go ahead, stop it now, and we will continue on with a spoiler-filled synopsis. The Fantastic Four 2015 is written by Simon Kimberg, Jeremy Slater, Josh Trank, and 60,000 other Fox executives who are unnamed, uh, directed by Josh Trank. John, do you want to tell us what we got? 
Okay. A young scientist, Reed Richards, played by Miles Teller, enlists the help of junkyard worker Ben Grimm, Jamie Bell, to help him with his experimental teleportation machine. The machine works, transporting a small car to a distant and unknown land and back. Reed continues to work on the project for the next seven years until he's spotted at a science fair by industrialist Franklin Storm, played by Reggie E. Cathy, who is father to Susan and Johnny Storm, played by Kate Mara and Michael B. Jordan, respectively. Franklin informs Reed that his teleportation machine in fact transports matter to another dimension and back, the planet Zero. Impressed that Richards created this prototype in his garage, Franklin offers him a job, all the resources he needs, and a team consisting of his son and daughter and Victor Von Doom, a former employee of Franklin's, who became despondent when he could not complete a similar project. Working together, the team complete the project. In order to avoid the government taking their research and ownership of it, Johnny, Victor and Reed have a drink and decide to travel to the planet Zero. Reed also decides to bring along Ben Grimm, but disaster strikes as they all obtain superpowers from a substance on the planet. Sue brings them back and is also infected by the substance. They have to leave Victor behind, thinking him dead. Now back on Earth, the army convince the team to recreate the experiment to travel back to Planet Zero and find a cure for their illness as they are held captive at an army research base. Victor Von Doom, however, on their return, isn't dead. He spent the last year on Planet Zero, being sustained by the planet. When he's taken back to Earth and told that the army still wants to take all the resources from his planet, he begins a killing spree and decides to destroy Earth. With this, the new team of Sue, Reed, Johnny and Ben team up in order to stop and destroy Victor. They return to a ravaged Earth and insist they are given autonomy from the army as they move to Central City. So that's the synopsis of the Fantastic Four movie. If you're joining us for the first time, the way we cover our um, our movie reviews and our TV reviews on Defenders TV podcast is we each take five points about the movie, uh, discuss through those points, and hopefully cover the full movie. Uh, if you want to, uh, to listen to any of our future podcasts or subscribe to our podcast, you can go to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. And if you want to send us any feedback on our show or any of the other episodes or this film. In fact, send it to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Something to kick us off with our first point, John. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to put this up uh, up front. Um, I think it kind of links into what Chris was saying just before about, you know, have our expectations been affected by sort of all the chit chat on social media, sort of with regards to teaser trailers and all that. And I think um, for me, I actually had positive expectations going into this film um maybe because i hadn't really looked at it on social media actually uh, but a because josh trank did chronicle um and i loved that film i thought it was really good and to be honest it is a bit like the fantastic four you know people get superpowers how they deal with it and there is a, a huge um big fight and showdown at the end. I mean, essentially, in a nutshell, that's this film as well. It mm. obviously takes slightly different routes, and there's obviously a lot more baggage with this property. But in relation to that baggage, I'm not a Fantastic Four fan. And so because Josh Trank has that darker sensibility, I was really kind of looking forward to see a darker side, a, a more 
dark version of the Fantastic Four. I found the previous two outings of them way too saccharine for my liking. Um, and kind of just, yeah, candy floss uh, on screen, really. So I, I kind of had some good expectations. And then even with the release of the, the first trailer, there was a bit of positive buzz about that, that maybe it wasn't going to be all that bad. And there was very much this element, I think, it was banded around that there was a bit of disfigurement horror going on, sort of akin to things like the fly that they were going to introduce, certainly in relation to Ben Grimm turning into um, the thing. So I was really kind of excited by that aspect or potential aspect of this film. So I kind of went in with good expectations and I think that's what makes it even more crushing for me and that I am completely disappointed with this film. Um, there were just elements of it that just made no sense. It was confusing. Um, I still have pulled positives out of it and I will certainly look at those. But unfortunately for me, they just simply did not um, pull this out of the mire. Um, and in terms of um, you know, we're talking about you know how much involvement maybe Fox has had here, but for a summer blockbuster movie, one hour forty minutes mm. is really really short. That suggests to me, I mean, mostly you would expect them to be two hours, two and a half hours for a big summer blockbuster movie. So I mean, this is blockbuster light anyway. If nothing was uh, done to it, but that suggests to me that you could argue maybe twenty minutes, maybe even fifty minutes of cut has been done to this film, if yeah. you assume it's two and a half hours, which wouldn't be unreasonable for a big summer blockbuster. So that is just really um, a huge thing because it never gets going. It's all set up and then it, it's like um, this little wheeze at the end um, of, of a battle, which for me, I think Josh Trank did better in Chronicle with the big... Um, fight at the end in Seattle on a probably a much smaller budget with properties that no one knew, or, you know, original property. So he can do it and he can do it on a much smaller budget but for some reason here it it's just makes no sense with what's gone before and it is suggestive of huge amounts of material that have been cut out of this film and that's the sad part about it, I think. L lending to the rumour because well, we don't know at this point. Yeah. But I agree, like actually, just and it was only when you, we were reading the synopsis, and it's only actually when you said it. There's two scenes that from the trailer, the very first trailer, mm -hmm. to the film that I'm actually now going. Actually, where are they? So there's the scene where the army guys are going. We've given you hundreds of millions of dollars. What's different? Mm -hmm. And frankly, Storm says, "Reed Richards." That's not in the film anymore. That I think that's right. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And then. Talking about the disfigurement transformation here, mm -hmm. her, the 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 key one that made everyone go ooh was when Ben was in that cocoon, lock cocoon in the military base. Mm -hmm. We don't see that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. When he was break, he first breaks out because we don't because all we see is an eyeball when Reed is talking to through the um, Vent. vents and obviously he's looking down and we don't yeah. see eyeball. We don't see the disfigurement humor or her anymore. The disfigurement humour, actually, I like that even more. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that actually, yeah, that'd be, that it actually might have added to the film. <laughs> That's really dark humour. That could have worked. That could have worked. Disfigurement humour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to John, to to your point, John, I must say the one 
feeling that I did get after the film that I probably I, I was hoping not to get was that this really reminded me of um, the Amazing Spider-Man, the reboot that uh, that was done of um, of the I suppose the, the Spider-Man films. Um, it had I had exactly the same feeling. I went to see the trailers and or before almost every film that summer. I went. I saw them a bunch of times and went. I'm really excited to see that story of how this Spider-Man is different from Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield played a great part. He did a really good job, I think, of of playing Peter Parker in that role. But the film just ended. It film the film had most of its time spent on stuff that I wasn't interested in at all. Had a battle at the end and then the credits rolled and all the interesting stuff that. A trailer is supposed to say, this is what we're going to explore in the film. All that interesting stuff that was in the trailer for Fantastic Four and the trailer for Amazing Spider-Man was just left on the cutting room floor, it feel, it feels like. Mm, yeah, I think as well, third news now that, I don't know, maybe Sony with Spider-Man as a property has realised the error of its ways and is now teamed up with Marvel to to bring it at least in part back into the Marvel fold. But I'm kind of getting slightly sick now of these studios that have and were given or bought uh, Marvel properties back in the day when Marvel essentially was on its knees mm -hmm. and are now, you know, from 2009 to 2015, that project um, and releasing it probably close to rights expiring as well. I mean, it's just, um, I think it's a bit ingenuous, really. I, I think it's a bit cynical. I think give it back to Marvel, where then at least things like, the, is it the zero dimension that can be used? Uh, and it can be used because they obviously don't have rights to that, to use that. So my view is now properties like Fantastic Four should be going back to Marvel, maybe in the same way that Sony and Marvel have come to some kind of arrangement mm. with regards to, to rights of these properties. Mm. I understand they probably don't want to release them because they are money spinners, but I mean, they're just destroying characters, much-loved characters. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not a Fantastic Four fan, but, for example, if this was being done to Doctor Strange by Fox, I mean, I would be livid. Absolutely. I'm yeah. just so glad that <laughs> yeah. Doctor Strange is still with Marvel because at least there's a huge body of people who work there in the comic side as well as in the movie industry that understand those characters and are sensitive towards them. And I don't mean that they shouldn't be changed and updated and, and so on. I, I actually don't have a problem with that within this film, within the Fantastic Four film done here. I have no problem uh, um, about the casting. That is absolutely fine by me. But they've just done a really poor script. Back to Marvel, I say. I, I kind of agree, kind of, because it, it would be nice. Fantastic Four have deep roots with the Inhumans, which we now know are coming and going to be the new mutants Absolutely. of the yeah. MCU. Um, and they and also have deep roots with the Illuminati, who's pretty much been involved in every single comics event for the last 20 years, really. So then we'd only be missing um, Professor Xavier from the Illuminati stories. And, which, the, and Namor, yeah. When the Namor is in... He's so their rights aren't with, are they? Oh no! Yeah, the rights are still owned for no more for uh, with Fox, I believe, and um, they've never made a film out of them. But the rights are still with them. The rights will have to run out, because unless they're going to make a more film, go against Aquaman film. But the only that the only way it would be in production now, it would have to be in production now, and we just don't know about it. Potentially. Well, I but, think for Fox movies, just quickly with Twentieth Century Fox. You know, this is the this is the the movie studio that lost Star Wars to Disney. That's true. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, maybe 
given the prequels, episodes one through to three, and what um, they allowed to happen in there. I know it was singularly um, George Lucas's vision, and I personally think they got better up to two and three. Um, I kind of quite like the third one. I've got Mm -hmm. a soft spot for it. But, you know, uh, brought to you by the studio that lost its... um, uh, (laughs) role in bringing you Star Wars, the greatest sci-fi ever. And I mean, they really need to have a good um, lessons learned section, I think. Well, there was an interesting story this week that came out of the Television Critics Association where uh, Fox are saying that they're looking to make an X-Men TV series. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the the rights discussions and all the background dealings, but essentially uh, the the TV rights for the X-Men is actually owned by Marvel. That's why they've been able to make their cartoon shows. They've been able to make some uh, shows here and there with X-Men characters on TV. Um, but generally, this could lead to the negotiation where Marvel could trade the, the TV rights for X-Men to Fox and take the rights for Fantastic Four back. That is a possibility here. Um, there was an announcement of Fantastic Four 2 uh, that the second film would be made. That is also a possibility why they edited out some of the stuff from seemingly from this film to make a Fantastic Four 2. But I can't see that going ahead looking at the reviews, looking at the money that this this film is making in this first weekend. I can't see them making a Fantastic Four 2. So it could be the right way to go for Fox. They have had some pretty good success with uh, with the X-Men franchise, at least uh, in creative wise, if maybe not box office wise. Um, they've made, made pretty good successes on there. So maybe that's their option is to to swap the rights with Marvel, I suppose, and do that kind of deal. There, there, there is, you would assume Kevin Fahey, I always get his name wrong. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> Every time I stumble, I'm like, Kevin, I just, it's like a best mate that I just don't know your last name. It's like, I know your last name, but I just, I don't say it all the time. Um, <laughs> 24 episodes and we still have Yeah, I still right. can't get, Kev, Kevin Feige. So Kevin Feige. Feige. Uh, anyway, um, you would assume as the, the mastermind behind the cinematic universe and a majority of the the, the film and TV shows, mm-hmm. you would assume that he has brought this discussion ahead. Um, because I would love to see the single Marvel universe owned by Marvel Entertainment because they could do a lot more. Mm. Um, especially with even some of like the upcoming things like Captain America Civil War where we they don't have rights to certain things and certain characters, which is forcing them to rewrite certain aspects of these amazing stories that were written in the comics. Yeah. Um but it that also leads an element of fear. Because yes, Days of Future Past was a very good film. Mm-hmm. X Men's area, I should say. And I think they they did well by that. Did a good job. Um not looking at Apocalypse. Okay, he looks like Ivan Ooze from uh, the Power Rangers film. And I know a lot Apocalypse of people said that's yeah, Apocalypse yeah. himself. We we that's the only shot we have of him. So I think that may be a depowered or something, but I don't know, we'll we'll look. He can change his appearance. He's so that it. could be one version of his appearance. And I'm I I I generally don't like to criticize a film by some screenshots. No, exactly. Um so hopefully they can do another good job. And I think they will. But this does the 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 X Men TV show, which there was talk of actually being X Men, and then there was talk of being um the it's going to be an X Factor, um or X Force mm-hmm. TV show, that would be good. Um, the rights of go, Fantastic Four going back, I don't know if they can rewrite history now mm-hmm. of the MCU that they've already written, right? 
because you're going to then have to literally say that this, unless they do the Ultimates and bring this Ultimates version of uh, Fantastic Four directly in. But that's a very dark and gritty Josh Trank-esque universe that you're just going to try and mold in or they end up going to have to recast completely and just randomly in a, an episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes, oh, uh, we just brought this new lab assistant on, uh, Dr. Reed Richards, mm-hmm. and he's a little young 12-year-old. <laughs> and then they just give it a time to adjust. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. maybe. It could be. I don't know. I, I, I fear what this could be. In other words, I think they may probably will still make the second one. Right. But to your point, as we the whole conversation started with, you're right. So much of this has probably been left on a cutting room floor. Mm. And I'm wondering if we will get a Death of Superman Lives styled DVD <laughs> in a couple of Absolutely. years yeah. about Josh Trank and how much of it was destroyed. And we get to see that. And who knows if we actually get to see Josh Trank's vision on Blu-ray, an unedited two hour, two and a half hour long Fantastic Four, it could be. Because also, like they did make this at 12s. Yeah, in a lot of regions, yeah. I think, and it's so there was no blood, um, and we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. They they made this very fantastic for light. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it is a comic book film. I suppose that's probably the way they wanted to go. Um, I think we can move on from this point overall. If everybody's yeah. finished yeah. that one, uh, Chris, do you want to give us a point? Um. Okay. So I'm give the the adultation, if that's a word you want to call it, another fantastic four. This dark, gritty... We'll allow you adultation. Yeah, thank you. Adultation. <laughs> um, they made... Josh Trank... I Chronicle was one of the most standout films for me in the last few years. Mm-hmm. It was this low budget. I went in expecting nothing. An indie film. And I got this superhero film that I always wanted. Like, what realistic superhero film. Absolutely. So, I knew going in that he wanted to make this very more Nolan-esque. What would happen if, in the real world... So not the Marvels kind of more, but you can't do that with Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, in its origins, is about a family and love, and always has humor mm-hmm. on their side. And even when fathers die and babies go missing, and they one or two times they end up in different parallel universes and all this stuff, it was always a, a, a levity to the comic books. Yeah. Um. It's definitely stuck to its 60s origins quite a lot in the comics. They really have kept that kind of, you know, really fun side of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what made Fantastic for me. I, do, I don't read them consistently. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would go in and out. So major story arcs, I'd go in. I did, when they did the Future Foundation stuff, mm-hmm. I read that. and I Because obviously Spidey's in it and I love Spidey. Right. <laughs> um, but I read the Ultimates version because that kind of spoke a bit more to me. It was a, a nice retelling and I love... Right. That universe as a whole. That just didn't, this didn't transfer for me. Right. It was like, you can't make an adult version of the Fantastic Four. It's like trying to make an adult version of Thundercats or um, the Captain Planet. Right. Can you imagine Captain Planet? That Josh Trank's version of Captain Planet. This is what we would have here. Isn't that kind of what Doctor Doom turned into in this film? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. I know what you're saying. Um, I think... I'm just not that invested in Fantastic Four. So for me, I feel that they can do it. And I think that they can still keep a levity, though, of the family unit, but that it can potentially go down dark routes 
just by the fact that they are transformed. Mm. I mean, you don't suddenly, you know, turn into a piece of rock and you're happy about it. I mean, that do- doesn't happen. And that's and, and that's been... shouldn't happen. But what I mean is, is that I understand that their origin, and I can understand why people want to be. Um, uh, true to that definitely mm-hmm. for me i'm not really that invested in uh in that like the fantastic four for me primarily in the comics that i've read are supporting characters to all the characters that i'm really interested in mm-hmm. or primarily like with the illuminati where actually you could argue that reed richards isn't necessarily a nice guy in, in the illuminati along with yeah. doctor strange uh, and the others There's, you know the controlling aspect Absolutely. what they did to planet hulk yeah exactly yeah, it's essentially reed richards just for those who don't know the illuminati he's the one that that solves the equation as to what every outcome could possibly be to every situation so he's so intelligent that he can see the end point to every situation and that allows him to make the tough calls and tough decisions that's kind of the what they've done in the comics to make him more relatable as a character i suppose or you know sometimes the kind of gray area that we like in, in our characters i suppose um but yeah i know what you mean that that could be the way you could use him in the marvel universe if you bring him back he is the one that oversees a lot of things and that's what he's doing he's doing those kind of calculations but yeah it, it, it's definitely not what they've done in this film yeah. I mean, I think I definitely agree with what Chris is saying. I think for me, though, someone not that invested in their origin and the fluffy side, kind of as I said before, I don't mind if they take it down a dark route. I mean, even Doctor Doom ultimately is inherently dark. So, you know, one of the great Marvel villains. So, that I've always loved about the Fantastic Four is Doctor Doom. And not so much everything else, but I was really looking forward to that whole aspect of being disfigured by the accident and how they deal with that. Um, and it's kind of there in part, and I'll come to that later. But like, um, yeah, I mean, but they didn't. That's the yeah, issue. I know. They made they took a slightly. They tried to make. I was trying to be positive. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. No, but it's like it was just it was an it was it's an IP that shouldn't have been. Tranked, if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah. it, like, there was so many, like, like Trank's version of Punisher or something like that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, they just shouldn't have made it a kind of adult version because they said, okay, we're going to make a dark, chronicle-esque version, horror, focus on the human aspect and them being transformed. And midway through went, oh my God, we need to um, make this a kid's film. Mm-hmm. And then we go, so we're not, we can't go dark, we can go dark light, we yeah. go grey. Yeah, we'll go grey. So it's not one or the other. Right. And that's the thing. So that's where I think we, I think that's probably one of my biggest problems with this film. Right. It's not a nice, fluffy superhero film, um, which we do love, mm-hmm. I don't mind, or it's not a dark, gritty, Nolan esque superhero world. Right. It's somewhere, somewhere in between. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, and then kitted. But still trying to keep those adult themes there at the same time. I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the themes, if and I'd love to hear what their, our, our listeners think, if they brought their nieces and nephews or mm. sons and daughters who are younger, did a lot of these themes go over their head? Because I don't think they would have got the whole Doctor Doom's or, Doctor, or Victor Von Doom's hate and resources and the whole the earth is dying mm. aspect. Yeah. Like, I think that's just the issue. I think they, there was a lot of hands on the wheel yeah. in, this, like in this project. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. where we get down to. And I just think, also, if I think Trank can do some good, 
I think, like you said, Chronicle is still one of my favourites. But I think he needs to be more careful when he, or what IPs he's going to come to. Mm. And also now, has he shot himself in the foot by even being attached to this product and coming out of what he's yeah. said in the last couple of days since release? Yeah, I, cer- I certainly don't want to put all the blame on Josh Trank with, without a doubt. There's definitely some great elements in here, which leads me on very well to my... My first point. It's almost like I planned it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the transformation sequences of the four Fantastic Four ter- characters, when we eventually get to them, which does take a lot longer than it should, but they are genuinely really well filmed. Each each of the characters is separated out while they're being studied by scientists, essentially. Um, so first, you you the camera pulls in on Reed Richards, who is fully stretched out across uh, across multiple. Um, at multiple places where he's tied down, essentially, and he can't pull his po- his body back together. He doesn't know how to. So that's genuinely terrifying. That's that's the body horror that I think we've been talking about for for the last while. Can you? The the, the uh, my imagination was running wild, going, "This is fantastic! I'm really liking what they're doing with Reed Richards. They made him cool. Like that's a really interesting moment. You know, it's the the character himself. I think they had Plastic Man in the se- in the seventies on DC, a very mm. similar version of the character. Might even been a bit earlier than that, but a very similar thing where he was just a comedy. character character who's able to stretch around and tap people on the on the shoulder with his stretchable arms kind of thing um which is the way i'd always kind of seen mr fantastic but the idea of not being able to pull your body back together and your bones all stretching out was was filmed really well in this um the other characters as well human torch like johnny storm being on fire all of the time and you don't know whether he's actually hurting or not you can't tell because he's just constantly screaming about the fact that he's on fire i think that's a fantastic version of the character again something that we haven't seen before in the past johnny storm's character has always just been the cocky arrogant guy that uses being the human torch to get women that's that's basically yeah. it and to annoy his sister so he can run away and get get away in this the, the scene of him Every time it cuts back into the the lab where he's lying down, he's just on fire. You can't even see his face anymore. You know, I thought that was that was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then Susan Storm again; she's been sedated in in the lab, and she's just phasing in and out of visibility essentially. So the only way people can keep a, a track on whether she's alive and what's happening to her is they're monitoring her heartbeat. Again, another great touch of, of what it would be like to potentially have this power and have no control over it. And then finally. Ben Grimm, who's essentially thrown in a basement because he looks like a rock. He d- he isn't in a lab. He's stuck in a in a box screaming for someone to help him and someone to find him because he didn't know what he was doing. He went along with his best friend to another planet and got turned into a rock. You know, brilliantly put together and really good scenes and really genuinely well acted by all four actors. And once again, I can't, I can't criticize any of the actors. Most of them just aren't giving anything to do. But at least in these scenes, we're given something for those four actors. A really good moment in the film for me. Yeah, I agree with you. When they originally said Jamie Bell as the ever-loving blue-eyed thing would be full CGI, I went, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't sure. I wasn't sure it was going to make it. Um, obviously, when we had the previous ones, there was all prosthetics and. Yes. Yeah. Poor Michael Chiklis. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked. They made it, and I think you're right. They made this fantastic they showed like when he was getting beaten uh, in the negative zone oh not called negative zone sorry planet zero terrible naming mm-hmm. um when they went and he it's was a getting diet planet. it is <laughs> not quite a planet it's just planet light that's a, oh my god that's what we should call it episode <laughs> zero calories <laughs> um they they did show that like he was getting beaten by stones from this planet and he when his 
pod popped open mm-hmm. and he screamed. Yeah. And I felt, I, I genuinely believed he was getting beaten. Absolutely. And then when Reed stretches crawling across the floor, that's brilliant. When he looks down, although that was almost humour, almost when he looks at his body stretching, goes, ah, and then faints from the, the shock. Yes, yes. Um, did have a moment of humour in there. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I did think, yes, the, the, these guys are cool. Mm-hmm. The, the, the powers they have were always going, were always great. Even Mr. Fantastic, because the whole way that they explain it in um, the Ultimate Universe is that he can't, he's not just stretching his body. He's also able to stretch the neurons between his uh, brain. Right. So he becomes smarter as well. Right. Right. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. So you, you, like, that's a nice new take. Mm-hmm. And, Johnny being constantly on flame. They didn't really explain a lot of that. They literally just said when they went to the military scene, it's like, oh, we put them in containment suits. And you're like, oh, okay. And yeah. then he's able to turn himself on That's and off. That's why he's and... able to control the powers. Yeah, it's, it's a, we'll probably talk about this uh, in a little while. I think that's that's one of my other slight negatives for, for the film. Um, but to, to speak to the positive again, the the actual transformation, the reason why the, the characters are transformed, I think, is explained quite well for some of them. Um, Doctor <laughs> okay. Doom obviously gets covered by the green goop on the planet. That's why he's transformed into something completely different, no longer human. Uh, there's a fireball that goes into Johnny Johnny Storm's um, capsule. That's why he takes on fire. As you say, the rocks are hitting Ben Grimm, and he as they're transporting, so that all gets merged with his with his body, and then. Uh, Reed Richards becomes stretchy and because it says in the comics, and <laughs> then no, it's St- the waistband on his spacesuit. Yeah. So he, he gets merged with yeah. the elastic, and then Sue Storm gets hit by a wave of energy and becomes invisible. Yeah, because uh, yes. she needs to. Um, yeah. Oh, and makes projectiles. Yeah, and fully can float. That's not explained either. But yeah. that's a cool power. That's a cool power, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I like, I do like some of the stuff. I suppose her power is, is she is one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel universe. And to see her not even going to the zero planet and not even going to space, whatever way they they wanted to create it, to have her sitting at home on the keyboard to mind her boys, <laughs> um, and then get hit by a wave for no reason, even though nobody else got hit by one in mm. in the city when they arrived back. Um, I don't know. It felt it felt like the wrong way to deal with Sue. But... What was the holding the breath part when she was training? All right, Sue, hold your breath. And when she was floating, they had her holding her breath. Okay. And then later on, she was fully able to talk and right. breathe when she was holding the ball again. Right. I'm like, so is it because she's trapping oxygen and she's not allowed to breathe? And I'm like, what? No, because yeah. that actually annoyed me. I was like, that was just completely brushed over. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is a cool take on it. She can only make. Um, but spherical floating balls when she's holding her breath, so it's limited. Right, like she doesn't have. She's gonna have to become like a, a free diver and learn how to hold her breath for like yeah. minutes. Yeah, I was like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. No, no, no just doesn't. brushed over. Yeah, just yeah. brushed over. Um, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, I mean, same with the positive. Actually, one of them for me was again the four, the actors, the casting. I actually thought they were good. I liked them. Um, I really did. And I thought in particular, for the first time ever on film, Miles Teller made me like Reed Richards. <laughs> um, I thought he did a good job. And I thought Jamie Bell was good as uh, Ben Grimm. And in particular with those two, whilst I don't think the relationship was resolved very well towards the end, I think the fact that 
the science project with the two of them uh, as you know the young Reed Richards and the young Ben Grimm just added something to this relationship as they got older mm. and then added to the fact that Ben at least initially then blames Reed Richards for for what had happened um now that doesn't get resolved very well at all and um, because all of a sudden the pally again once Victor comes on but up to that point there seem there is substance there between these two and i think what the the problem is is that individually they were all i thought absolutely fine really good they didn't have much to work with and in terms of those interconnections between them and um, they just weren't really there except yeah. for between um, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. I mean, even with Victor Von Doom, his whole reason for becoming just this evil menace and, and why he would suddenly start to try and kill um, any of those four, because, yes, he didn't seem that invested in them, but he didn't seem to hate them. I mean, even with the rivalry between him and Reed Richards, mm. it didn't seem enough for this to happen at the end and you don't get to see how it got to that point it's all yeah. kind of missing and um, so but all these interconnections between the four i think is the weakest part except for maybe um between ben graham and reed richards yeah but to pull back to the positive i definitely agree with you the scene where reed richards and ben graham are talking to each other in the baxter building where ben graham is essentially living behind. I think that's sold really well by Jamie Bell, where he's essentially kind of going, okay, well, you've kind of outgrown me. I can no longer be your lab partner. I can no longer be even your friend. You're now at home, finally, in a place filled with people just like you. I think that's sold really well just purely because of those two actors are doing a really good job. But they're not really given much else to do after that. But that's the positive, definitely. Yeah, There's... no, I, I really liked um, the actors, and I liked their portrayal yeah. up to a point. I think they, they fit it. It was just yeah. then ultimately what they had to do from the yeah. script. It just didn't and help flesh out um, the characters as much as they could have done. And even the ones that were, I think, like um, like Reed and Ben, it kind of then fell flat because things just happened so quickly from blaming Reed Richards for the accident and everything to then being fine about it and it kind of also is not helped when you have such a stupid premise um for why they end up going to planet zero that they're drunk off their faces um and you know after being um left in the baxter building by ben Grimm, like reed richards calls him up at i don't know four in the morning or something and says come on over we're drunk um we're heading on off to planet zero like it, it may it, it was just a bit weird and ridiculous yeah but I, li I like the idea and again it's selling the fact they have a great friendship that he's able to call him really early in the morning and he's going to get up and come to him but i would have loved if if ben Grimm had arrived and gone you're drunk how about we wait until later and he was going to talk him down off doing this but he doesn't he puts on the spacesuit and goes off into space i like the premise of why they wanted to go so the the, the, the story Absolutely. about the NASA it was like yeah. who do we know it was not the it wasn't the scientists it was the 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 NASA the astronauts that was good yeah, yeah. I thought that was a nice take on it yeah they got drunk on one hip flask yes that annoyed the crap out of me <laughs> I was like you're you're at least in your twenties mm. or at least in early nineteen eighteen yeah. nineteen you finished high school yeah and then Victor Victor he shouldn't have been drunk he was at least in his late late twenties. Early twenty five, like twenty mid twenties, if you want to call it. Like, 
Oh, you guys got drunk pretty quickly. You were asking the question earlier on as to what kids can take from the film, and clearly one of the messages from this film is don't get drunk or you'll end off in another dimension without even wanting to go. Oh, actually, that's a reason (laughs) to get drunk. It's like, yeah, if I drink from hip flask, I'm going to go and get superpowers? Yes, but not the ones you think. Yeah, and as the prodigy said, take your brain to another dimension, Chris. Let's take us to our next point. Yeah, um, this is uh, not a negative. It's just something that seems to be glaringly obviously missing. Reed Richards and Sue Storm's love story is completely glossed over. They start flirting in the film, mm-hmm. and that annoys Victor, and then we forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. These, this is the antithesis of they are the marriage of made in heaven. They fight, they break up, they get back together. Even during Civil War, they end up on different sides, but they still manage to bring the family home and together. Mm-hmm. We don't get that. We get a couple of nice flirty scenes where that computer tapping away, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, and I, I, I would love that. I love that story. I love them being together. It, it's great. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's the human heart to his nerdy, complete logic. Yeah, and she's very much the mother of the Marvel universe. She's very much the one that takes care of people. She's got kids as well, yeah. which is something very rare in the Marvel universe. Really, uh, Jessica Jones, the only character I know off the top of my head that has a kid that does start to play a part now nowadays. But we've Magnesium. had. Well, of course, yeah, and like Nita as a parent, yeah. Um, he's he's had on and off, some of them gone to different dimensions, that kind of stuff. But he is a villain, for the most part. Uh, Sue is very much about protecting her family, and it makes sense that she would have kids that are around all the time and that she's taking care of them. This doesn't look like it's going to go like a, well, a, a good relationship in here. She looks at him as just another nerd hitting on her, essentially, to start off with a little bit of flirtation. And then he's told to back off by... Uh, by Victor and that's it that's kind of the end of that story it's the last time you hear any kind of mention of it um, nothing really even at the end at the closing no. scene there's nothing I was, I, I was one, again so again this is brings us back to this cutting room floor maybe I'm wondering if there was because they are standing together when they're at that railing at the end yeah they're beside each other yeah uh, she smiles at him yeah. I think for the first time yes exactly so I'm like they did yeah yeah, that is literally that was. Do you, no, that do you voice, want to try that? No, that voice and that. Oh my god, what just? I'm so confused. Yeah. Because I was expecting. Yeah. This is the origin story of the Fantastic Four. Mm. How they get their powers and why they become a family unit. Yes. That's we, missing. The family unit part is missing. Yeah. Again, we completely skip over why Ben Grimm and Reed Richards are happy friends again at the end. Exactly. Which up until they went into the negative zone. Planet Zero, uh, <laughs> they they hated each other. Oh, hey, villains, he hate each other. Then they decide to work together, and now they're friends, smiling. Yeah. Um, we just they, they, there's so many it's not plot holes. I they are at this point now. They are like kind of there's almost slightly glaring kind of what like glaring emissions emissions yeah emissions and it's confusion as to what it wants to do. And yeah. I don't think that that necessarily is because of the the script. It might be there in the script. It just might not be in the film. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's This will be now one of the big mysteries, you know, and hopefully we'll get some kind of documentary or some kind of retelling um, of quite what happened here. I mean, it's a bit like Batman and Robin, you know, where it's mm. like, you know, there's eight-year-olds saying, you know, I want neon or something. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Yeah. Not as bad as that, I hasten to add. But, I mean, nonetheless, you know, 
too many cooks spoil the broth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and if you listen to the interview that Josh Trank did with uh, Kevin Smith on Fat Man on Batman recently, um, he's done four a four part interview essentially. Um, they were all recorded a couple of weeks ago. It's very much Josh Trank saying that he's put his vision down. It's been filmed exactly the way he wanted to. As I said earlier on, he had his editor, he had his cinematographer there. It seems like he's been allowed to film a vision. And whether it just didn't match up with the way Fox wanted to do it and they edited out portions of it, it doesn't feel like it's been refilmed. It feels like it's just shorter than it should have been. So maybe some of the elements, as we talked about a number of times already, maybe the, some of the elements that we're finding problems with are just missing from the final cut. Well, there is the room that the Fox producer reshot a number of yeah. scenes without Trank on set. and Or his, his editor or his... Uh, producer either right so there is that rumor going around that the studios do not feverishly denying it yeah and as, I, as i'm saying this josh trank interview was recorded directly after san diego comic-con this is like a four weeks ago five weeks ago and he is very much still saying he has the reins it's, as i say it feels like he delivered his final cut and someone just took the editing of it he's never said ever that anybody else shot any of the film other than him mm. maybe second unit director which will always happen on a film yeah. film particularly as big as this maybe someone misinterpreted it back at the time um, but he definitely was saying it was his vision right back to a month ago so um, that's my feeling on it and I know again I'm sure we'll get a big story out of this in future but just to wrap up my point is yeah. just it. so even the love story between Jessica Alba and Ian Griffith um, that was great in the originals. Mm. It was okay. That were cheesy, cheesy films. Yeah, but th- it was nice. They, there was a romance there between the two of them, and when it blossomed at the beginning in the first one to when they got married in the second, mm. I was expecting a, again a different retelling of this using the ultimate versions of how they fell in love and why, mm-hmm. and she sees patterns in logic and he loves logic, and it was I guess very gracefully told. Nope. All missing. All missing. Yeah. Just literally, we get some clickety claps where they're there. She wakes him up from when he was sleeping on a computer. They flirt for twenty minutes. Not even they flirt for ten minutes. Victor comes in, glares at them, and that's the end of that love story. Yeah. And I'm like, what? The? Like, she had more physical contact with a keyboard than she did with Reed Richards. Yeah. She Actually, doesn't know how to type. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was such literally like. Clickly, clickly, I'm not pressing keys. Yeah. I swear, I want to. I literally go back and I just for the bit because I don't think she was pressing keys in one or two really? points. Oh, you and can I'm certainly like, hear them though. Yeah, you could really hear them. But I think was when when she did the searching for him on the like that was completely not explained. Oh, absolutely. It reminded me of the end of Murder She Wrote, where you had the typewriter, and I was just expecting it just to fling up a sheet of paper, and it goes down into the yes, it's a fox or something. Um, The old Stephen J. Canal closer, yeah. I mean, even before she got the superpowers, her superpower was obviously typing because I have never seen so many hits per second of a keyboard as she's trying to sort out the, the to get them back from the the planet zero. Yeah, Which sounds like a theme park. <laughs> Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is a bit of a defensive 
point, I suppose. Bit of bit of defense for the film. They got a huge amount of criticism when Michael B. Jordan was cast in this role and Kate Mara was cast in the role. There were there was a lot of criticism about the two of them being uh, not being siblings in the in the strictest term of the word. One of the other elements of Fantastic Four that's hugely important to a lot of fans, I suppose, is not only do you have Reed and Sue being uh, being partners for the rest of their life, you also have Johnny as her brother. You know. Um, I have to say, in defense of the film, I really like the choice they made here, that obviously Johnny is the natural son of Franklin Storm, and that Sue is the adopted daughter of Franklin, and that there is a great little dynamic between them that essentially she's the chosen son from uh, from Serbia, I think she says, or from a very, very much a war-torn country yeah. brought back to America by this industrialist, and that Johnny is the kind of, the, the guy that's going against Franklin all the time, even though he's his real son, in a sense, he's not treated as well as Sue, and there's a, little, a good dynamic there between a bit of sibling rivalry, and I think that was played quite well uh, early on in the film. Um, to see a bit of that type of uh, th- that type of sibling rivalry, I suppose, as, as I say, um, I think that was a nice choice. Definitely, yeah. I think another good choice was I kind of liked the interaction between um, Johnny Storm and Reed Richards as well. I thought that was a nice little touch that Johnny Storm seemed to be drawn to Reed Richards just because it wasn't his sister. It was nothing to do with his um, immediate family. Mm. And that sort of development of a family, it was kind of like just just the... And then again, didn't get developed. But mm. I liked the start of it. And I think that comes back to my, like my point that I liked what the actors did but then they weren't able to see it through to what you would want so um, yeah like I liked all these different interactions um, definitely definitely I, I give you this Kate Mara Michael B. Jordan well Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. plays a fantastic Johnny Storm I think he's perfect in the yeah. fact that you don't have it's very much shorthand there's a very there's a very uh, there's an amazing statement from uh, Alfred Hitchcock, one of the greatest directors of all time, absolutely love his stuff. There's a great statement from him. If you cast the right actor in a role, you don't need to allow them to do much and they can get their part across very well. Yeah. And definitely it, Michael B. Jordan works really well because he plays the part really well. He plays a cocky, arrogant guy and he plays it really well. And he gets a few scenes to establish that and I think it's established quite well. But mm. yeah. Yeah, no, and I think, and Kate married aside from a few wig issues, <laughs> um, Wiggy, she, uh, that was. That, I literally, you, you, one second it was in front of her face, next second it was. Literally, I swear, someone just threw it on her face, on her head, and ran off. I like, we're, oh, cut, she, she, oh, she's supposed to wear the blonde wig in this yeah. scene. Yeah, I have to say now, I didn't spot that, really? but this is the second Marvel wig issue um, this year because um, Janet Van Dyne in Ant Man to me had wig problems going on <laughs> as well, even though I don't think it was a wig, um, but. I didn't spot Sue Storm's wig issues, but to be honest, there were so many other issues going on as well. I just thought I wasn't even going to look at continuity. <laughs> All right, well, it does seem to be a Fox thing. Like the, One of the biggest criticisms of the original X-Men films was Halle Berry's wig and how awful it was, and they changed it four times over the course of the series, essentially, to have a new wig each time, and what's she going to wear in her head this time? Uh, I think we yeah. should start a new thing. Hashtag... Wiggate. Wiggate. <laughs> Wiggate. And we ask all our listeners to literally come up with their best wig issues about <laughs> any of these comic films. Um, no, but I think Michael B. Jordan, you're right. He was cast fantastically. Yeah. And he did. And I was fully open. Yes, there was a lot of casting criticisms because, yes, there was a 
continuity change, if you want to call it that, to <laughs> the, the, the ethnicity of this family. No, it was a good change, yeah. and I fully endorsed it. Like, um, absolutely, it, it's 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 again like saying that traditional families are the only families. You know, they were making very much making a statement. Families are different nowadays. Yeah. This isn't something that you will. Well, families have been different for years. It's something that's depicted in comic books quite regularly. So why not transfer that in the screen? You know, yeah. a really good choice, I think. No, no, completely. Yeah, John, what's your next point? Um, it's. A positive point, um, and in fact, it's two positive points yeah. I think rolled into one. Um, I loved the scene where Doctor Doom is walking through the facility, exploding people's heads. <laughs> I thought it was. I mean, we t- you were talking about blood before. We saw some blood on on screen, and I really liked that. I thought it was in keeping with his character. Um, again, I didn't like how it necessarily followed through to when he. Um, is confronted by Franklin Storm. Mm. That was a bit kind of weird mm. yeah. and a bit kind of cheesy. And I think Franklin Storm was just setting himself up for another speech. Unfortunately, his dialogue was just a series of speeches, and I think they even made um, a joke about that. Yeah. But I really like this um, his 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 power and how that w- walk through. Um, killing all the the goons in the the research facility i thought it was really well done i thought it was really dark and again it just makes me ask the question and you know did josh trank make this film too dark for fox and this is maybe one element of it that is still in the film yeah didn't make the cutting room film because it was he's walking through just you see the the blood hit on the yeah, walls. I'm only remembering it now, and I'm like, yeah, it was you know, fantastic. It was really, brilliant. really good. It felt like um, something out of Alien at times, yeah. where they where the spacesuits were had the had the heads exploding inside them, blood dripping down the yeah. front of the masks. It was a really good scene, and yeah, again, speaks to that horror elements and the influences that were brought into the film. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other um, great point is, I love the whole science project thing for the young Reed Richards and. And Ben Grimm, and I liked how that linked in with then them developing the first um, transporter there at the Baxter Building with that research institute. Mm. And part of it was I loved the music that kind of went with it, and I noted that it was Philip Glass who did the music here. Mm-hmm. With he he wasn't the only person on this project doing the music, but the, he's done Truman Show, Candyman, and all that. And there are elements there that I really liked, and that was the thing. I went into this film with a really good expectation from what I'd seen in Chronicle. And the start of it with the little science project in the garage and the music build-up just whilst this toy car goes, which was kind of like almost epic, but for kids that would be Mm. doing that in the garage. And I was like, oh, that's... I liked it, and it got me sort of going for the rest of the film. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. Like, unfortunately. But it was a really good point, and I like that link then to the big science project that happened, obviously, in the Baxter building. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I will connect in my next point with one of your points there. Um, about Doom, we haven't really talked about him. This is the uh, this is the bad guy for the movie. Um, a huge character in the comic books. And I have to say, going into this, Toby Kebbell, I have loved some of his films. He's been fantastic. He was he played the, um, I suppose, the, the, the evil character ape in planet of the apes uh, he mm-hmm. did he's done cgi work you can see he carries off a bad guy in that film really really well he was in 
uh, rock and roller, which is a, a great, a great part playing the uh, playing the drug addicted uh, former singer uh, in that film. Yeah, Guy Ritchie's rock and roller, a really, really good part in that. Uh, and then my favorite absolute favorite he plays a part in the film dead man's shoes well worth checking out if you want to see how good an actor toby cavill is really really good watch that film don't watch this he has nothing to do in this film he gets a couple of lines here and there becomes the jealous boyfriend of a girl he hasn't dated at ever by the look of things um then he goes to another planet disappears for an hour of the film swoops back to earth has a fantastic killing scene destroys everything and then heads back to the planet again. That's kind of his arc, if you call it an arc, his storyline. It's nothing. For such a huge villain in the Marvel Universe, he's been around since probably their first or second issue, I think he was, uh, he was um, the, the villain. Third. Right, so he's been back around since 62, 63. Been around for years, always a big character. Anybody reading Secret Wars at the moment knows how big a character he really is. Really, really good character in the comic books over the many, many years he's been around. And poor Toby Kebbell, I, I really feel for anybody that's only seeing him in this film and won't look won't look out for his other stuff and the other films that he that he's done because I think he's a great actor. I'm really sorry that this is what they how they treated him. I think with this property, Doom is too much. I read it. I think they should have done almost a mole man. Bring back in the Mole Man aspect <laughs> of it. First ever issue. The very yeah. first issue. Yeah. Because I think that would have been better. Because you're right. They do not explain why. So we first meet him. He's a recluse ex-member of the Baxter Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he suddenly then Franklin Storm gets him back by saying that you don't want some other kid to finish your work. Yeah. So, okay, that's a bit of jealousy. Okay, grand. We, we know he's an ass. That's fine. Um, he's just not likable. That's fine. Then they basically get yeah, the jealous boyfriend part. Okay, maybe he's just infatuated. That's fine. That's just a bit creepy. Yeah, really. stay away from the girl that won't date me. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But then we don't. We get one aspect of his. Uh, his. Uh, we get one mention of him being from Lafayette. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a very bad joke about being Doctor Doom. Because he's slightly negative. Oh, God. Yeah, that was just... That, oh. Some of the clangers in this film are... <laughs> look at Doctor Doom over here. Really, you didn't need to say that. Yeah. The, we'll talk about it in our feedback a little bit later on. But the it's clobbering time moment, or maybe we'll talk about it in, in your next point, Chris. But the it's clobbering time moment, just because it feel, feels like they're just pushing lines from the comic books yeah. to make some reference. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, so, overall, with Doom... Yeah, I don't know what they did. By the way, did you ever notice where the hell did he get the cloak? So he's in a, he's in an alternate universe where there are no people, no fabric. Yeah, and he's his the his suit is fused to him. Yes, and I was he gonna... manages to find a green cloak somewhere. Mm. <laughs> I was like. Um, he must be a boy scout. I think so. He he weaved together yeah. like ele- like that. The planet provides. I think yeah. that's what we're supposed to think. The he planet provides, provides his w- costume. Yeah. For the rest of the um, movie. Yeah. So I just want to before we get on to which because this leads into one of my next points. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they made him look mm. when he's transformed, that is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't mean to be bad. Uh-huh. Doom. Is a great. They could have gone multitude of ways. They could have yeah. gone the old cheesy way from the original mm. two films where they started yeah. going metal. But that they was could... pretty poor in the previous two films as well. I don't. They've ever got his look right on screen. But mm. this is another, another time they haven't got it right. This is like they 
they literally fused a, a look between metal skin, a nihilus for the green eyes, mm-hmm. and the the lip guard, and mole man for that weird <laughs> green things under other uh, ultimate mole man for the green stuff under his like skin. Right, like it just. Like and they they literally pass it off in the show, in the film by saying, "Oh, we see that your your suit's now molded to you." But there is a scene where it's melting on his face, and I think that was fantastic. Why didn't they just leave it like that? Yeah, or, like, or you know, make it look horrific or disfiguring. Well, maybe not horrific. Again, it's a kid's film, um, but they could have at least shown you know there's still plastic fused to his face. You know, something like so, that. We saw literally now he's just. Plastic mm. with green underneath. Yeah. I just and and a face guard, which is which, yeah, makes sense. But the problem is, it's no one's film now because mm-hmm. it's not really for children. Mm-hmm. It's not really for the fans. It's not necessarily for the people who came at it from Chronicle. Yeah, not for it, film it, fans. It's, it's all things to no one. I mean, you know, in that sense, <laughs> because a good way um, like they had. Or ended up, there was no clear vision as to what they wanted to do here. Yeah, and maybe that clear vision is on the cutting room floor again. Yeah, but it's it's no one's film now because of trying to do too much in quite frankly too short a time, um, and maybe that time is obviously cut somewhere else. So as bad as he looked, mm-hmm. this leads me perfectly to my next point. Right, the thing, uh-huh. our ever-loving blue-eyed thing. He looked fantastic in this film. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, and they even they I made was him, nervous there for a second. No, they did, <laughs> and they made him a Barbie doll because mm-hmm. obviously there was a uh, reactions to. I think this is I don't know this again. This is the internet level showing me. I think apparently in one of the trailers you could almost see his um, dingling, his junk, his yes. junk. But now they phase that out in the actual film. No, I noticed it in the film. No, no, because it's just a, it's a, it's like a Barbie doll action man. It was like nothing there. No, that's not correct. Not from my view on, on Tuesday. Okay. I, I commented on it afterwards. Um, there, weirdly, and Derek's this, this... eyes were drawn. To <laughs> the things jump. No, it's weirdly. It's it, it was the act... things thing. The, the things rocks. <laughs> no, weirdly, and, and it, this was actually prior to me listening to the Fat Man on Batman uh, discussion. Uh, it's a memory that I have. It's from uh, it's from Mallrats where. Essentially, one of the characters is asking Stan Lee, uh, is the thing's thing a rock, essentially? So I was looking out for it because I knew he had no pants in the film. And there is quite a, there there was quite a distinct rock in a, uh, quite a long shape at the front of his body. Um, definitely on Tuesday when we watched it. So unless there was an additional edit that went to hit the cinemas. I, 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 um, I just, I didn't uh, remember seeing, I remember seeing like just a, a curved yeah. Barbie doll-esque piece. Okay, well, the, I'm going to yeah. have to, okay, <laughs> listeners... Come back to us. But yeah. Anyway, I think was I fantastic. seeing things? Yeah, it's definitely a recommend just to see um, whether you can see the yeah. rocks junk. <laughs> Go see this and um, the, the rocks, uh, the the things junk. <laughs> you want it? That's a different film. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's WWE. <laughs> um, he looked brilliant. Yeah, he really did. They they may and uh, Jamie Bell's rocky gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. Um, That's quite a good choice. It was a good choice. Good, yeah. And like you could hear rocks crunching as he talked, yeah. overlaid. And I thought it was really nice. Yeah. And yeah, then they ruined it. And I'm sorry, they did. Yep. They ruined it with clobbering time, which we'll get to later. They made him a killing machine. Absolutely. And the thing's thing is, the thing's thing is that he is a monster, but he's a nice man on the inside. Mm. He's a monster on the outside. He's a soft, gentle 
giant. Yeah. He's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. He doesn't kill people. He doesn't like fighting. But when he gets angered or someone goes to hurt his family, it's clobbering time. Exactly. No, in this, they made him... They showed that... They showed two scenes which jarred very badly with me. One is where they you see him drop into what we assume is Afghanistan or an unnamed war kind zone. of war zone. Yeah. And he's there ripping things apart, mm-hmm. literally ripping tanks apart. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, well, they're trying to say that he's going to become a weapon. Okay, I, I, I'll go with you. Mm. And then we see the scene uh, after where he's in his room and he's watching almost like a kill cam report. Yeah. And yeah, there's the body count down the bottom. That just... And, like, I was watching, and I was looking at it, he was up to 50-something in this green environment. And I'm like, so, what, we're expected to be, he's just gone in now and killed 50-plus people yeah. for the army. I know. And, okay, yeah, no. So that just jarred. They, they, I think, from as great as he looked, and I really do, they, he looked brilliant, and Jamie Bell's portrayal was brilliant. They made him the ever-killing angry thing. <laughs> and then they... His hating of Reed Richards yeah. because Reed disappears for a year and doesn't do a say anything or contact him is completely gone at the end of the film. Yeah, just it dissipates. Just completely. dissipates. Jamie Bell, thumbs up. Yeah, the look, thumbs up. The voice, thumbs up. The beginning, thumbs up. Yeah, and then thumbs down because he becomes a killing machine. Absolutely, I think. Uh, I think that was actually my final point as well. Uh, and all I've written is Ben Grimm also becomes a pretty well-defined murderer with his body count racking up on screen like a video game. Awful, awful choice to do with the character. And I understand why they did it. They bring it back a little bit later on. Um, it's not really clear at the beginning, but um, but Ben Grimm is a little bit older than Reed Richards. Um, he's now become a killing machine for the army because he hates himself as, uh, as the thing they've been able to talk him into doing this. And the reason they've turned him into the killing machine is so that they can use that later on to inspire everybody to protect Johnny Storm from becoming a killing machine for the army but it's not the right choice for the film and not the right choice for the fa- for the character or for the fans um absolutely totally disappointed with what what they did with him uh, at that point definitely yeah yeah i ag- i completely agree with that again it's one of those things a little nugget of hope and a genesis of something actually pretty cool and it just doesn't play out yeah, yeah. so i think we have gone through all of our points on the film. Uh, Chris, do you have anything left? I do. I have one just final one, which is uh, Reggie Cathy. Mm-hmm. Um, as plays by, uh, who plays Franklin Storm. Um, he spends the first half of this film and it's just, this is again a character disconnect of what the, the ultimate version of the character Franklin Storm mm-hmm. should be, which was this dude, the, the father, the director of the Baxter Foundation, the he was a genius as well. So in this film, he spends the first half of it happy to let the kids be guinea pigs, working on this experimental technology that they're building with some not so safe mm-hmm. habits. Yeah. And then so he's letting them do this and he was even like when they said that they're not going to be the first to go through an interdimensional portal to a different world, rather and let them be first, these kids be guinea pigs. He's happy to let that. Yeah. And then when the military starts being unsafe with them, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're kids. Yeah. No, no, no. And he gets completely, like, his justification flips. I was like, they're my kids. 
Well, you were about to let them go to an alternate universe where they end up did going by themselves and they got powers, mm-hmm. but you were going to let them go. Yeah. And then the, the also his um. Oh, I'm sorry, people. I hate doing this because I do love comic books. That lo- death line, his death warble. Oh yes. What was it, people? <laughs> Say it with me. Always stay, stay together. together. Oh, just. I do like the fact that um that. Even though Doom's power seems to be to destroy people individually in a split second, for some reason not explained and should have been, it uh, should have been explained. He didn't do the same to Franklin. He gave him the opportunity to say that death line. I don't really know why. It's not explained at all. There should have been some explanation. They worked together for years yep. by the sounds of things. So it's easy to believe he wouldn't want to kill Franklin, that he would have held back. There's no explanation for it. He just does exactly the same thing he did with everybody else, but doesn't kill Franklin so he can deliver the line. And it makes no sense because you have no idea as to Doom's transformation on that planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was just I, I thought they they've taken quite a good character. Um, at the beginning, it just it was just disconnect. Like if he had to stay the adopted father who preaches too much, he was a preacher. Yeah, in the beginning of the film, that's what he is. He's a preacher. He's the 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 scientific preacher who tells fables and gives long speeches. Yeah. But then he literally twists at the end. Yeah. When he's at this secret base, he's like, no, you can't become a killing machine. You can't go to war. You can't do this. You can't do that. He's not giving... Like, I was expecting a speech when he goes in to see Johnny. And Johnny's like, I'm doing this. I'm going to go to war. Mm. They need me. I was expecting this big, eloquent, oh, my God, this is why you need to be scientists and a mechanic. You shouldn't be going to war. We need people who create things, not destroy things. I was expecting some of that. Nope. Um, no, no, no. It's like, I love you. You can't. You're going to get hurt. No. no. Yeah, that seems very different for yeah. him as a character. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was just, that's my final point, which is, I just think they, it was a disconnect between the first, first half and second half as a character. Mm. And I think yeah. they could have done more with him. And that death warble just annoyed me way too much. Yeah. And I think on that note, I think this will be relatively quick. Um, John, do you defend... Fantastic Four 2015, directed by Josh Trank. I feel sad because I've defended everything, actually, so far on Defenders TV podcast. Mm. Um, And I do feel sad, um, but I can't defend this film. It's trying to be all things to all men and women and children, and it ends up being nothing. There are nuggets um, of scenes, of dialogue, of relationships between this cast, who actually as far as I'm concerned, are really well cast. Um, That are there, these little nuggets, but they don't pan out um, at all. In particular, I love the whole science project scene between the young Reed Richards and the young Ben Grimm and how that kind of links to then Reed Richards finally realising his dream of sending the monkey. I loved... um, the Doom's head exploding, but it's unfortunately all caught within the confusion that is this film. And for that reason, I'm giving this two, and I'm probably being um, generous here, but two ridiculous drunken trips to Planet Zero out of five. (laughs) I like that. And Chris, do you defend Fantastic Four? Um, um, I'm going to have to kind of fall on a uh, an edge here. I don't want people to pay money to go see this because mm-hmm. I feel you, you may get feel ripped off. 
but it's a it's it's Marvel. It's a comic book film, and I feel if we don't at least support these, we may not get the next film we want or the next film we want. But I would save your money. Please watch it on Netflix or Hulu or whenever it comes to a streaming service, or buy the the Blu-ray or for like whatever it'll probably come in cheap video on yeah, demand. Buy in the bargain bin. Bargain bin. It's because it's not for all the bad, as John said, for all the bad parts. There is nuggets there, or teasings of what could have been great. Um, and who knows? I think maybe in a year's time we have a director's cut version, which is an extra fifty minutes, and we we completely flip. Mm. We go, this is the film we wanted. This is amazing. Or we have a documentary called The Death of Fantastic Four Lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be awesome to either get a director's cut that makes us all flip. That would be awesome. Or yeah, if not that, then some kind of explanation as to kind of how this happened. Yeah. And um, Trank has said uh, currently on social media he's now blasting. Now he's kind of shooting himself in the foot quite well. Mm. Um, but he's saying some scathing things about different studios and execs and so forth. Um, so. Well, now, in fairness, it's one tweet which was deleted in two minutes where he said I had a better cut of this film a year ago. That's that's all that's been released. And that was captured by somebody else. And post it on a on a page. So I don't want to I don't want to throw Josh Trank under the bus because every story that I read about it is literally just a screen grab of a tweet from his account, apparently a non approved account, saying I had a better version of this a year ago. Okay, he hasn't come out with a huge amount, so I just want to make sure we're not. No, 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 no. I need to be fair. I, I yeah, no, and that's fine. I will yeah. leave my words. Um, <laughs> I uh, it seems I've read stories that have been blown out of proportion because I love Josh Trank. Mm-hmm. Chronicle, again, I said, it was fantastic. So, to wrap up, and I'm sorry, I I, I rambled on this. (laughs) No. And yes. So, no, do not go to see this in the cinema. Go see this on Netflix, or go see this, buy it in the bargain bit. At least do something. Watch the film at some point. Mm -hmm. But would I spend the 10 euro that you're going to spend now uh, to go to the cinema Mm. and watch it? No. I would give it one Fantastic Four out of four. Right. I'm sorry. What about you, Derek? Do you defend this film? I can't, you know, in any conscious conscience give this a defend. Um, I opened watching this film, really looking forward to it, looking forward to a good sci-fi film. I think the the opening scene, I was kind of thinking back to some kind of a, a Goonies film or a, or a good 80s a good 80s kids movie. I was going, great, they finally are, are showing what why kids will enjoy watching the Fantastic Four. It's a great way to, to open it with the kids doing a science experiment. And it got me interested, you know, with thinking, thinking of movies like The Explorers and, and Inner Space, those kind of great oh. 80s films. But as the movie went on, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, well, later on, they're going to be going into space. Maybe I should watch this in IMAX, you know. There's going to be great special effects within this. I'm really getting excited as I got closer to what I expected to happen. And then an hour went by. And all we'd seen was mathematical equations on a board which were being rubbed off and rewritten. And then some more mathematical equations. And then some tap-a-tap-a-tap on a keyboard. And then something happens. Then they go to space. They have a great transformation moment. And then they need to fight against Doom for no, no apparent reason. And then the film's over. And we're left at the end of the film with a huge big hole in where... The Fantastic Four were supposed to be protecting, so did they actually protect anything? I don't think so, by the looks of things. 
Uh, they're told at the end of the film, nobody will ever know you were involved in this. We'll put you into hiding. So the world don't even know they exist. And then the film ends lifting and shifting what happened at the event, at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, which is they go into a secret facility set up specifically for them. And then don't denounce the name of the team. It ends with Reed Richards opening his mouth to say the name of the team, just like Captain America did at the end of the Avengers. Somebody wasn't watching the biggest summer blockbuster that was out there this year. Somebody, If there was any re-editing that needed to be done, it was change the end of that movie so you're not copying the biggest movie this summer. Um, or the second biggest, actually, Jurassic World overtook it in the end. Oh. But I cannot recommend anybody spend any money on this. Contrary slightly to Chris, just for, for myself, if we spend money on movies like this as and that are calling themselves superhero films, we will only allow other people to make films like this. One of the great things about having Marvel around and making their fantastic superhero films, almost all of them I think I've recommended at this stage, um, the, one of the great things about having them around is that they've brought them up. They've brought up superhero films to a much higher standard. We're now getting great quality films that are heist movies and also superhero films that are, you know, um, great films like Captain America Winter Soldier, which wouldn't have been made and wouldn't have had the, the power behind them if it wasn't for a studio like Marvel. If we support a film like Fantastic Four, then we're going to get Fantastic Four 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. We're going to get Spider-Man the way they were done for The Amazing Spider-Man, where you get a great trailer and a terrible film. Don't want to support it. I don't want you to waste your money. And I don't want that kind of industry turning turning into what the press have been calling superhero fatigue. I'm not fatigued with superheroes. The only thing that will make me fatigued with superheroes is bad ones. And this was one of them. Definitely Marvel shines a light onto sort of substandard superhero films, which in a, in a sense this is. Mm. But again... One of the other interesting comparisons this year is Ant-Man 2 had a troubled production. Very mm-hmm. long. Yep. Obviously, one of my favourites, probably one of your favourite as well, Derek, and probably um, yep. Chris's, Ed, uh, Edgar Wright, um, taken off the project after spending an awful long time. Um, I was nervous going into that and still came out and actually loved it to bits. Yep. So they were able to take the irons out of the fire rescue it if it was really that bad as was being sort of mentioned in in um the press in um websites on social media and they managed to make it work and be successful this is the opposite of that yeah so um yeah Definitely. Right, and this has been the most negative zone episode of uh, of Defenders TV podcast. Really sorry about that again. We t- generally try and find the positives within the film. I hope you've enjoyed our coverage of uh, the Fantastic Four. We got a little bit of feedback before we close out the episode. Um, we did ask for a bunch of feedback, and as I said, a lot of the responses we got was we're waiting to hear what you think, what you think about it before we go and see it. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to our thoughts and uh, and don't go out and watch the film. So our, our piece of feedback this week comes from Ben Rush um, on from our Facebook group. He's also sent us on an email. Uh, he starts out, uh, hello all. Well, wish this could be more a happy review. Maybe when Batman v Superman arrives. Fantastic Four, or will I call it Ass Four? <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks Ben. We might, have, we might have used that at the beginning of this. Well, the actors did what they were asked to do. Shame about everything else. Let us begin this mess. As a person who grew up on the Kirby and Lee and Byrne runs of this greatest comic in the universe and enjoyed the Ultimate FF series, I have one question. Where the heck were the Fantastic Four? Because this was not any version I recognized. 
It's not entirely fair. They used a little bit of Reed from the Ultimate Fantastic Four in the film, uh, Grace, the one who becomes a worse supervillain than Doctor Doom. Um, but the rest of it's like the person who wrote this horror show read the cliff notes and never the books. For example, Susan Storm, how insulting to one of the most powerful heroes in the Marvel Universe to be demoted to Candace from Phineas and Ferb. Uh, and don't even go... <laughs> and doesn't even get to go to Earth Zero, which was the neg negative zone, don't let them tell you anything different. If I was the Mary Sue, I would be going ape over that. And she gets her powers in such a stupid way, it's insulting to her and the fans. Totally agree with you, Ben. I think I've uh, I've been very clear on that as well. Uh, Johnny, don't agree with this one, Ben, but uh, Johnny says you can tell who the director's mate was. Mm. All right. Benjamin Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. You might guess Ben is my fave of the four in the comic and the one who Jack Kirby was most like in real life. So that what they did to him was the worst. Turning his battle cry into a trigger phase for abuse by his brother was probably the most insulting thing I've ever seen in a comic book movie. At this point, Batman and Robin is a better film than this. Sting. I had to be held out from walking out of the cinema by my wife when this appeared on screen. And when he says it in the last part of the film to punch Doom, I just felt sick. People who have suffered abuse will be rightly repulsed by this. And then there was no pants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Doom beside the rather cool Easter egg, you really have to look to notice in the background of his first scenes. If you look really closely in the background, there's a framed painting of a knight. In the Ultimate Fantastic Four books, part of Doom's childhood was to know and recite his descendants, which included Dracula. There you go. Interesting. Hi. Uh, simple question. Why is it so hard for Hollywood to, pr to do a proper Doom, to put him up beside Darth Vader? Um, the Roger Corman film is still the closest we've come. Interesting, interesting. Um, how the heck did Mark Miller sign off on seeing this? He's the Fox Comics guy. He's the one that's supposed to be responsible for the whole universe. It felt like a pilot for a much better TV series or the second film, which we will never get to see. I think I'll leave it there. I'm beginning to turn green, and I'm sure there'll be others qu quite as miffed about this as well. From Ben J. Rush, who still wishes he was the ever-lovable grey-eyed thing. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks so much for your feedback. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really interesting to get that perspective, actually, from someone who is um, a fantastic for fan of the comics, of the original uh, comics, and knows the history. I mean, it's something that, you know, I don't have. So it's really interesting to get that perspective. And, and absolutely, I mean, if you're invested in this character or these characters as, as much as, uh, you know, someone who this is their favorite Marvel property or comic book or, you know, it, it's got childhood memories for them, then there's something serious when the reaction gets that bad. I mean, Absolutely. I have to say that's I will have that next year in 2016 with Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. um, if they make a, a mess of that, um, I'm going straight to Kevin Feige. <laughs> <laughs> I'll book you the flights. Um, OK, I'm going to agree with. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Ben. Um, the negative zone, yes, Planet Zero, it is called Negative Zone. But I think uh, I, I, I'm, it, it is the negative zone. We're fully aware of that mm -hmm. if you're a fan. But I think they just don't have to write to the word negative zone. Yeah, It's probably even somewhere in Marvel's piece, uh, especially now that they have Civil War, they may have bought it back. Um, the, I, I, the catchphrases. It's one thing we don't think we fully touched on. We, we kept saying we'd come back to it. Mm. That was despicable. Absolutely, and I, it actually it it jolted me, um, 
And uh, even my partner who was at the cinema with me, she went, what? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, he's supposed to be, he's like, it's clobbering time, was a good thing. It yeah. always been a good thing. And they've named, taken that he was getting abused by his older brother. Um, and now he's going to start doing it when he's abusing people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there is Johnny and his flame on. Flame off. I'm going to say words as I push buttons. Mm-hmm. It's like, flame on, flame off, MP3 player, <laughs> uh, disc, I want a coffee. He's going to tell you what he's doing. Um, <laughs> they, they, that was, they literally, you know, they tried and shoehorn those catchphrases in, it seems. Yeah. But I would have preferred if they hadn't have used them at all or if they had to use them properly. Like, if uh, Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm did it as a joke, that was more as a character he would use it. I'm going to flame on. Oh, my God. That's why I should use it. You call it that. It's sexy. It's cool. But what what, Jay, what they did to Jamie Bell making him say that, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, as Reed Richards being the ultimate guy, and yes, for those who don't know, he becomes a huge supervillain in the Ultimates universe. Um, I did. I thought it was a good. I actually do like that version of Reed Richards, the geeky kid who becomes a bit psycho. Um, it was cool. And then what they did to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually one thing. Uh, it was only when uh, Ben was talking about this, I actually thought about this. Um, we never did figure out what Reed was doing for the whole year he was by himself. No idea. It looked like he was trying to build a replacement of the ship. To get there himself. Which he built... About seven, for seven years, he built that in his garage, isn't that right? Uh, that's why he got the job with Franklin, but yeah. for some reason he was struggling with it now. Maybe he couldn't build the suit to protect himself when he got to the Zero Planet, but nope, didn't seem to actually be doing anything. And when questioned about about what he'd been doing, he was saying, I've, I'm no help to you. Yeah. That was basically it. Um, so maybe he tried and failed. Maybe there's a storyline about failure in there that was supposed to be explored, but again, left out of the film, but yeah. No, so Ben, we we feel your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, that's how I would leave it. Yeah, um, a little bit more feedback came in from Rebecca Bradour again on our Facebook group. Um, says I just got back from the movie. Uh, not sure my thoughts are co- coherent yet, but I agree there was nothing wrong with any of the actors. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we were trying to be non-spoilery in our thoughts during the week this week, and uh, I think Rebecca echoed that. Uh, she did say I did like the mezuzah on Ben's home in the beginning of the movie, but I bet not many people noticed that. The mezuzah is a reference to Aunt Petunia, uh, who's always mentioned by Ben Grimm as his loving Aunt Petunia, um, who essentially has this little, uh, little totem that's sitting at the house. Um, and Ben used to give it a little kiss and give it a little touch to uh, to give praise or honor honor to Aunt Petunia, essentially. So a nice little spot there, a nice little touch from uh, from the filmmakers. Yeah. Wouldn't have recognized it myself. Absolutely. Two nice little Easter eggs in there from, from the feedback. So, yeah, absolutely cool. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for joining us. You can subscribe to our podcast on defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes, or you can listen to us in any good podcast catcher like Player FM, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, um, whichever way you want to you want to catch up with us, make sure you send us your feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Our next episode, we will return to Agent Carter with episode five for episode 25 of Defenders TV Podcast. I've been Derek. I've been John. I've been Chris. And that was Invisible Irene. She didn't say much this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay fantastic. Bye. Bye.